This is Senate Eskridge, and you're listening to The First Deal Show. Welcome to The First Deal Show with your host, Caroline with a K. On this show, we're talking about investors' first investment property. Join me for a trip down memory lane as we hear the good, bad, and ugly of that first deal. Welcome back, 402. This is your host here, Carolyn with a K, with another special guest. And after some back and forth of logistical timing and time zones, we've finally been able to get Senate Eskridge onto the show. So today, my very special guest is Senate, who is a professional multifamily syndicator with over 500 units, who's also a husband, father, and dog dad. So welcome. Thanks for having me. I'm excited to be here, Caroline. Cool. So... Before we get into it, we always start the show the same way, asking you four simple questions to kind of get to know you behind the deals, right? So this is the Kiss Me segment, 402, you know the deal. And the first question is always, what was the first album that you purchased? You know, that, that was a while ago. And so uh, I want to make sure that I, that I get it right. I can tell you it was, a, it was by Metallica. And I think it was either their Black Album or Ride the Lightning Um but I, I had to rack my brain and try to figure that one out. It's one of the two. I'm not sure which one it was, which one was first, which one was second, but one of those two. Wow. That's awesome. It's throwback for sure. <laughs> yeah. Um, so what was the biggest challenge that held you back from investing in real estate? So my biggest challenge uh, from investing in real estate was actually my status as a financial advisor. There was a time in my life, I've, I've been self-employed the majority of my life. And a lot of that, I was a financial advisor with a registered representative company. Literally, I would help people invest their, their money into stocks and 401ks and that kind of stuff. And that industry is extremely regulated. Uh, literally, I had to submit every Facebook post before I could uh, post it. So wow. uh, every time I bought a piece of property, I had to get approval, basically. And so uh, if I were to go buy a duplex or a triplex or whatever, and my plan was to rinse it out, I had to go and justify to my regulators that I was uh, not doing anything illegal or not uh, doing anything that would contradict what I was teaching my clients to do. And so that was a big struggle and a big roadblock. And one of the reasons that I let that go was so that I could expand my uh, horizons into real estate and eventually start syndicating uh, and allow people to invest into my deals with me. And that's something they, they strictly forbade. I could not bring on investors into my, my real estate deals. So that was my biggest struggle. Uh, that, that career was a blessing. I learned a lot, but it definitely held me back when it came to real estate investing. So in that, wait, wait. So what you're saying is that your employer had to approve any posts that you made online before you could post it? Yeah. Yeah. And that's, it's very, that's very common. So if you like go to stockbrokers, somebody that uh, will help you invest in an IRA or 401k, uh, they have a compliance department and, and there's just so many rules. Uh, and one of them is uh, they control their advertising. And uh, I had anything that was on my business page, I had to get approved before I could post it. Uh, if I if I sent an email out to the same email went to 25 people or more. So uh, I had to get that approved. Uh, 
my business cards. I had to send my business cards in to get approved. Everything. That's wild. And what you said you worked for a regulator. What was the title? Like a company that a registered investment advisor, an RIA. Oh, okay. So that's your title. Yep. Yep. I was, I, I was, I'm not anymore. Uh, just to be clear, like I let that license go, but yeah, I was a, uh, registered investment advisor. Oh, okay, cool. Um, and so what is something new that you learned or did during the pandemic that others might not know about you? Um, I took the pandemic as an opportunity to really work on my health and uh, really learn about everything that I could about health and nutrition and exercise. Um, I'm one of the people that lost weight during the pandemic. Uh, And so I would say that's the that's the biggest thing. Most people that meet me now have no idea. But um, three years ago, uh, I weighed about 85 pounds more than I do now. Oh, wow. Yeah. Good for you. That's awesome. Yeah. Um, what What was the, like, what did you do during the pandemic? Did you get a Peloton or start running? Like, what was the outlet or way that you ended up losing weight? You know, it's, uh, it's you said, you said Peloton. That's actually how I did it. It wasn't a Peloton specifically, but um, I did spin classes and, and cycling. Uh, I love getting on spin, uh, bike and spinning. I also did nutrition coaching at the same time because it takes both sides, right? You have to exercise and and make sure you're eating right. So it's just knowing that math problem uh, down on both sides. I was uh, exercising more and eating right. Awesome. Yeah, that's great. Um, And what is your favorite quote? My favorite quote is actually uh, by Zig Ziglar. Uh, It's, uh, you can have anything you want. If you just help enough people get what they want, uh, I'm a I'm a big believer in the go giver concept. Uh, I truly and honestly believe that the more you give to the universe, uh, the more you're going to get back out of it. And so I'm always looking for a way to uh, contribute and uh, help others. That's awesome. It's a great quote. All right. So with all that being said, where are you based, Senate, and where are most of your investments located? So I live in Twin Falls, Idaho. It's halfway between Boise, Idaho, and Salt Lake, Utah, Salt Lake City, Utah. Uh, I do invest here because it's my backyard. Makes sense if I can walk down the road and see what I have. Uh, But the majority of my properties are actually out of state in uh, Tulsa, Oklahoma, San Antonio, Texas, and then I'm uh, expanding into Kansas City and even the Carolinas right now. Hmm, that's awesome. Yeah. And without further ado, let's get into it. So what was your first deal? Yeah, so I, I thought a lot about which one I wanted to talk about here. And my, my, first, my first single family deal was, was an accidental uh, rental that I had. I felt, kind of just fell into it. Clear back in 2009. But... I, the most impressive one and the thing that I really want to talk about is my first syndication, my first property that I syndicated on my own as, as a lead sponsor. Uh, this property was a uh, 33 unit property in Pocatello, Idaho. And so I don't mean to cut you off, but could you just help the 402 kind of understand lead sponsor versus, you know, the terms? Yeah, absolutely. Thanks. Thanks for asking for clarification. So 
you know, there, there's a lot of different positions and things that you can do when you get into uh, big multifamily uh, real estate. And uh, what I meant by lead sponsor is, is it was my deal, right? I ran with it. I, I essentially found the deal. Now I had partners that helped me with it. I don't want to take all the credit for it, but I, I really took lead on it. I was the one taking point on it. I was, I was the one out in front. I, I was the one running the acquisition. I was the one setting up syndication. I was the one fighting capital, that type of thing. And uh, it is definitely a team sport. However, uh, when I say that, I want to make sure I couldn't have done it without the people helping me. But uh, this was the first one that I was really running point on. Uh, and, and that's the reason I wanted to want to talk about it was it was really my deal that I ran with. So um, let's let's dive into it and talk about uh, talk about what it was. So uh, this deal was actually brought to me uh, through a friend of mine uh, that stumbled across it. Uh, <laughs> somebody had it had it as an off market sale. Right. So it wasn't listed on the on the MLS or anything like that. And so he found this property and brought it to me and said, hey, would you be interested in this? I know it's right right in your wheelhouse. And so, of course, I said, yes, this is something I'm interested in. And when you buy a big multifamily real estate, uh, there's a lot of due diligence that you have to do. And so we spent uh, probably about two months, two and a half months, really going through everything in this property with a fine tooth comb. And... Uh, and made an offer on it after all of that, after getting approval from the lender, getting making sure everything was good and solid. And we so we put in an offer and it was accepted. And there, there's there's a reason I'm telling you this part of the story. Right. But uh, so I'm driving back from the property, which is about a two hour drive for me. And I get a phone call from the from the person that I'm buying it from. And he said, I'm going to take your offer. Uh, I just emailed you the contract, sign it and send it back to me as soon as you can. And I said, no problem. I'm driving. I'll get to it in about two hours. I'll sign it, send it back to you. And about an hour into the drive, I got a phone call. And I was told, I'm sorry, uh, we got a better offer. <gasps> oh, my gosh. <laughs> uh, so first life lesson. When you have an offer accepted and you need to countersign that contract, pull the car over and sign the contract. <laughs> right? Because I mean, we all have technology now, right? There's cell phones and all this stuff. Just, just pull the car over. Be safe, right? But as soon as you can, pull the car over, pull it up, review it, sign that contract, cross, cross it off your list. Don't wait. Because I was super excited, I was I was happy, and then now I wasn't happy, right? Mm-hmm. So I had to go back to those partners I just told you about and say, "I'm so sorry, I we lost this deal." And everyone was kind of, I mean, they were all ha- okay. They weren't mad at me, or so they said. But I'm sure that when they got mm-hmm. off the phone with me, they were complaining to their significant others, things like that, right? Senate didn't find <laughs> this contract. So about. Six weeks later, um, I'd moved on, kind of forgotten about it. I get another phone call. And the buyer, the other buyer can't perform. That's what they said. Okay. So we were buying this property. Original contract price was three, $3.1 million to buy this 33-unit contract or property. And uh, they said the new buyer can't perform, 
you can have it if you'll match their price. So now the price went up $200,000. And so I went back and looked at my underwriting and I said, yeah, it works. Everything is, it, it still works. It's not as good for us, but it still works. We'll take it. So that the contract came in, I had it signed within 60 seconds. <laughs> <laughs> right. Lesson learned. And so uh, we bought this property. Uh, the The best part about it was the, the rents on this property were just under $600 per unit. And our pro forma, our projected rents were about $850. Nice. Well, within a year of owning the property, we actually got them up to nine fifty. What? So we what took the rents. We took the rents from roughly six hundred dollars to nine hundred and fifty in a year. And the way commercial real estate is actually valued, and the reason I like commercial more than I like single family, is it's all valued based on the income and expenses of a property. That specifically is called the net operating income. So it's, you take them, how much money it makes, you minus out the expenses, everything but the mortgage, and that comes up with your net operating income. So the fact that we increase the rent, the top line revenue by 50%, if we only increase the, the NOI, the, the, the bottom line revenue by 50%, that would dramatically increase the property value at least 50%, if that makes sense. So if we were at 3.3, now we're going to be somewhere around 4.7, 4.8. So in, in other words, we took something and, and increased the value by 50% in a year. That's a pretty good uh, increase, especially when you consider leverage, right? We only had to put 25% down to buy it. We could sell it today and almost triple everyone's money. That's awesome. When when did you guys purchase this property? Uh about about a year ago, eighteen months, little little under eighteen months. Oh wow! Okay. And so, how has okay? So sorry, you keep going. So then, you guys increased, but you didn't sell, right? You're like, if we sold today, we'd still yeah, we still own it. We're gonna hold on to it for the long term. Our goal, our plan is so now everything everything I just said is actually been done. Oh. Everything now is all projections, right? So our goal is to do a refinance. But I'm sure you've seen what the interest rates have been doing lately, right? So yeah. we're going to watch the interest rates. And when they come back down to say, and on the commercial here we're talking about, that's different than residential. But uh, if we can get the rates back down to about 5% on commercial, we're going to do a uh, cash out refinance. And uh, if you if you know somebody in the single family space, they're probably familiar with the term BRRRR, which stands for uh, buy, renovate, uh, rent, re refinance, repeat. Ah, I haven't used that in a long time. BRRRR, B-R-R-R-R, right? And that's exactly what we're hoping to do with this is to, we bought it, we renovated it, we increased the rents. We're hoping to refinance it and take out the cash. And then we're going to repeat that process over and over and over again. Very nice. And so did you guys have to renovate um, a lot of the apartments or the units in the 
building in order to increase the rent or was it pretty much rent ready? Like what was the condition of the apartment building? It was in pretty good condition. Uh, we put a couple hundred thousand into the renovations, uh, but it was it was pretty much. That is ready. not bad at all. Yeah, no, it, it was pretty minor. Yeah. And so what, um, like how long would you say was the due diligence process and closing? Because, you know, for the 402 that's listening, like they're probably familiar with a regular closing can take, you know, up to two to three months. So in the commercial side, is it the same or does it take longer? Uh, the whole process from beginning to end took about four and a half months. So it's a little bit longer, but not a lot longer. Yeah, the biggest one is the biggest piece is the appraisal. Commercial appraisals, there there's usually there's usually not very many commercial appraisers in an area. So getting in line with them is is what takes the longest. Mm, that's fair. And so, you know, how has it been going since you purchased the property? Yeah, it's uh we are outperforming on every metric. So we our our rent uh, increases have gone faster, more more and faster than we expected. Our vacancy rate is lower than we have planned, and our expenses are lower than we have planned. So the we had one challenge. Uh, we had to replace the windows, and getting the windows actually delivered, the supply chain issue was a problem. Uh, other than that, everything has gone better than expected. And what would you say was the motivating factor or the reason why you decided to pivot from single family space into commercial real estate? Ah, such a good question. Um, there, there's, there's a several reasons. Um, the biggest one is, is return on effort. So um, I, I, I grew a portfolio of several single family houses. Uh, I grew it to the point where I couldn't scale it anymore. I ran out. Of, I ran out of money. I ran out of lenders, and but most importantly, I ran out of time. Even though I had a property manager and I had systems in place, I was extremely busy managing all of the parts and pieces of my single-family portfolio. And the amount of work it takes to buy a single-family house is very similar to the amount of work that it takes to buy a large multifamily property. Uh, there, now, it's different, it's not the same, don't get me wrong, but it's not that much more work. And so if I, if I have to spend, let's make up a time, a total of 10 hours buying a single family house, but I only have to spend 15 hours buying a 100 unit apartment complex, I'm a lot better off buying the 100 unit apartment complex. And so, and I know that doesn't, um, that doesn't directly correlate, right? Uh, it's probably a lot more than 15 hours, but the point is that there's a lot more bang for your buck when you scale it up. Yeah, that's fair. And you'd mentioned that a commercial real estate is more of a team sport. So what, you know, for some people, like, it just depends on who you talk to, right? Some people have had great partnerships. Some people have had not so great partnerships. So for anyone especially within the 402 that might be interested in getting into commercial real estate. Like, is there a direct path or a recommendation for how they should start off? Um, or if you could have done things, you know, started all over, like, would you have done things differently? Yeah. Um, 
Well, the first thing I would say is if somebody is trying to get into commercial real estate, they, they need to ask themselves, are, are they looking to be active or passive? And, and let me explain what I mean by that. If somebody wants to be an active uh, real estate holder, active business owner, it, it's, a, it's a full-time job. It takes a lot of work. You know, so I, I am a full-time multifamily syndicator. This is all I do. Well, actually, it's not true. My full-time job is to buy multifamily apartment buildings and to manage all those multifamily apartment buildings that, that I own. So if, if you go out and buy one of these, you're going to be putting a lot of work into them. And you need to be passionate about real estate. You need to be passionate about owning properties. And it's, it's like starting a business. You wouldn't just go open a hair salon or a um, burger joint or, uh, you know, a smoothie bar and then never put any work into it. Right. Yeah. And so it's just like that. So if you're going to be an owner of commercial real estate, you need to be willing to put in the work. Or you need to be willing to be a passive investor. Right. And that's two totally different things. And so that's the first thing somebody has to decide. So let me answer first, if you're going to be an active investor, what I would do. So the first thing I would do is, is I would find a mentor. And there's a lot of gurus out there that, you know, that are going to charge people a whole bunch of money. And, and, and some of them actually have a bad reputation and, uh, you know, that they just take their money and don't give them any value. They exist. Those people are out there. But I truly believe if you find the right mentor, the right coaching program, they are worth 10 times the value that they're charging. Okay. So uh, I would say that's the first thing I would do. And I wish I would have done it in the very beginning. I wish I would have done it clear back when I bought my first single family house. Uh, if I would have joined a mentorship group back then, I would be, well, I'd be retired right now, probably, right? Because uh, since I joined my mentorship group, my growth has been exponential. Uh, and that's because I'm an active buyer. So that's what I would say. The first thing I would do as an active buyer. If you want to be a passive investor, which a lot of people that I talk to, that's really the direction they want to go. Then I would say that the first thing I would do is start networking. And I would try to meet people that do what I do. I try to meet myself and somebody else that's like me. I'd be happy to introduce anybody that's listening to four or five people that do very similar things that I do and find someone that you connect with. Because the most important thing, in my opinion, when it comes to being a passive investor is to vet the operator. You need to know, you need to know my methodology and what I do and whether you align with me. That is more important than what the property is going to be or where it is or what it's doing. You need to, you need to be able to trust the person that's running the, running the deal. Yeah, that's great advice. So um, just a clarification question. What's the difference between an operator and a lead sponsor? Or is it the same thing? Mm. No, actually. So it's not the same thing. So uh, they they are sometimes used interchangeably, and I sometimes use them interchangeably too, and, and I shouldn't. So an operator is really the person that's running the deal from day to day. Uh, this is the person that is uh, talking to the property manager, that is 
that is you know paying all the bills, making sure that the business plan gets executed. A lead sponsor is the person that puts the deal together that runs the syndication, which is the ability to pool money is what syndication means. And uh, the uh, person that's really in charge and out front putting the deal together. Now, sometimes a lead sponsor has an operator they're working with. Sometimes the lead sponsor and the operator are the same person. Mm. Right. So, so it is sometimes we use them interchangeably. Personally, um, I don't want to be the asset manager. I'm not the person that's actually like boots on the ground running the day to day. Uh, I have asset managers I work with. Uh, and I have people I work with in different parts of the country based on where where the deal is and where their specialty is in the in the country. Gotcha. Yeah, great uh, clarification. So um, if you could go back in time, right? So we kind of gave the 402 some options as far as active and passive, depending on which route they want to go. But if you as an individual could go back in time and kind of redo your whole real estate investing journey, what's one piece of advice that you give yourself? Uh, um, begin with the end in mind. So Stephen Covey, one of my favorite authors, wrote a book called The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. And one of the chapters is uh, titled Begin with the End in Mind. And really what that means is design your life, figure out what you want to do, and then work backwards from there. So a lot of people, they say, I would have gone bigger faster, or I would have started sooner, or I would have done this, or I would have done that. Okay, well... I probably would have done that too. I probably would have gone bigger, faster. That's probably what I would have done. But more importantly, go into it with intention. Figure out what you want your life to look like five years or 10 years from now. And then start with that intention, right? Build a roadmap to go to that thing. And just start there. If that is, I want to be a passive investor and I want to retire and I want to go sit on the beach and I want to be able to just uh, collect dividend checks and, and not have to do the work, then I would just start there. If that's, I want to own a 10 story high rise in New York city, I would start there. If it's, I want to own a bed and breakfast in, uh, Montana on a hunting lodge and all this kind of stuff, right. I, I would just start there. So, my answer to that question is begin with the end in mind. Great. That's a great piece of advice. And with all that being said, thank you so much for coming on the show, Senate. What is the best way for the 402 to get in touch with you if they want to learn more about you and what you're up to? You know, the, the best way to find me is just my website. I am on all the social medias. Uh, you can find me on any of them. But if you just go to senateescridge.com, uh, you can get right on there. I've got a ton of resources on my website. I even have an Investor 101 course where somebody can jump on there free of charge and learn about a bunch of terms and all these things that I maybe, if I said something that wasn't clear and you didn't understand, all those terms are defined in there. Uh, you can reach out to me on my website. You can even schedule a call and uh, I'd be happy to meet with anybody, uh, answer any questions they have or... Uh, give them any referrals they may need. Awesome. Well, thank you for coming on and I hope you enjoyed 402 and that is all folks. 402. Did you learn something or take away a golden nugget? Then I'd love it if you would share this episode with a friend. 
And I'd really also like to talk to you about real estate on Instagram or LinkedIn. So follow me at First Deal Show. If you know someone that has an amazing first deal story, or you just want to give us the dirt on your first deal, shoot me an email at firstdealshow at gmail.com and let's get you on the show. 402, thank you so much for listening. I love all of you and I will see you next Friday.